relationship to this psalm, it can't be done. We have no idea who wrote it. It's an anonymous psalm. And, uh, but it's absolutely rich and beautiful, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to share it with you. So I want to begin and ask God's favor. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that each person is here. And open up our hearts, please, especially me, and the places inside of me that uh, I really need you at work. Thank you for the way you show faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, verse 1 of Psalm 33, this block. Uh, Sing for joy to the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Okay, let's kind of develop that for a bit. It's really interesting. There's a lot of ancient Israeli tradition in these passages that you and I tend to not be a part of and uh, not, not hear about. Sing for, jo- for joy to the Lord, you righteous one, because praise is becoming nave to the, to the upright. Nave is easily translated as uh, it's the appropriate thing to do, okay? Sometimes it's uh, translated as beautiful, as though praise looks good on us, like a beautiful garment, and certainly that makes sense. But it really, it's more appropriately translated as that thing that's fitting, appropriate at the time. Praise is the right thing to do when you're a Christian, when you're a follower of God. Give thanks, yada, to the Lord, um, and do so with stringed instruments. Uh, it doesn't say to sing at this point. It's as though uh, when you play the piano or the guitar or something, that you're doing it with your, all your heart and you're doing it skillfully, believing that that is a way to praise God. That's really interesting. Verse 3, though, is where something curious happens. Um, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Uh, in ancient Israeli culture, there would be yelling in worship. I know that sounds really curious to us, but it was yelling that was kind of choreographed by a choir master uh, where he might say, let's all say uh, Adonai Yehovah or Adonai Elohim and some, some key Hebrew ideas. And you would yell it. In unison, all yelling, you know, um, probably a really good, reasonable comparison is when you're at Arkansas uh, on the hill and someone says, ooh, suey pig, and they call the Razorbacks. Uh, yep, that's a lot what it's like. There was somebody guiding, a kind of choir director guiding a huge congregation gathered at the tabernacle of the temple to shout. Now, I, I need, you know, you need to understand that the word shout here means shout. We're not saying like, yay God. You know, we're talking about literally yelling. And, and this is a part of how Israel worshiped. They would yell and, and do so with joy. 
you know, I think that's beautiful language. The word of the, of the Lord is right. It's, it's righteous, yasar, and all his works are done in faithfulness, imuna. Uh, they're, they're steady, they're predictable, they're firm, they're fixed, they're faithful, is the idea. And he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of chesed. Chesed is one of the most important Hebrew words you're ever going to get in your, your vocab. It is translated here as goodness, but it could be translated as mercy. Some of your translations may show mercy. I think that's what the ESV shows. Uh, it's commonly translated as loving kindness or unfailing love. It's a, it is a real heavy hitter word, and it gets at the heart of God. All right, let's look at the next slide. Um, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their lights, all the stars. And he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap made. And the Greek translates it, the Greek version of the Old Testament is eskos, which means wineskin. How cool is that? God gathers the seas together as though they're in a wineskin. They're bound together. Um, and he puts the depths in storehouses. Storehouses, that's a Hebrew word that refers to something like a place where treasures are stored. Let all the earth fear, yare, fear the Lord. Uh, fear is translated as actually uh, the sensation of being afraid, as in I'm scared. It can also be translated as reverence, as respect, but most commonly translated as either fear or awe are, are most the most common English renderings of yare. Uh, so we are to yare, fear the Lord, be in awe of him. We are to, be, uh, to fear him and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood firm. All right. That language is intended to... Um, move Israel toward this posture of awe, that if God makes a ruling, if God says so, you don't, you don't challenge it. He spoke, it was done, he commanded it, it stands, it's firm, okay? And it's similar to what God speaks to Peter in Acts when Peter is struggling that this mission, this idea that salvation comes through Jesus was first for the Jews, and then it's going to break out of that and include Gentiles, and Peter is struggling with that. And then there's this guy that comes on the scene named Saul or Paul, and they're afraid of him because, because he's murdered Christians, and they're afraid. And that they're supposed to accept the murderer into the church, the persecutor into the church. There's tension in the belief that I thought this was going to be a Jewish thing. And what's going on? There's pressure to move it into a Gentile thing. And we're not liking that. It's hard. And Peter has a vision. And a sheet comes down. And there's animals of all kind on the sheep. And in the dream, God says, arise, kill, and eat. And what does Peter say? No. God says, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no. There's our first problem. <laughs> Remember, he spoke. It was done. He commanded it. And it stands 
God says, arise, kill and eat. Peter says, no. Then he explains himself. For nothing unclean has entered my mouth. As a Jew, he's kept kosher food laws his entire life. And he says, no. Nothing unclean has entered my mouth. And then God says this. Remember, he speaks, it's done, so be it. It's fixed. What I say is clean is clean. Arise, kill, and eat. So are we talking about livestock or are we talking about people? People. People. That's what the vision was about. It was a metaphor for the idea that Peter needs to accept the fact that if God says Gentiles get in and that they can be clean in Jesus, then he better get out and, and, and do Gentile inclusion. Okay? When God says it, it is so. It is done. He commanded it, and it stands firm. Okay, great authority here. Um, verse 10, the Lord nullifies Eitzah the plan of the nation, and he frustrates the plans of people. Uh, this is the New American Standard 2020 edition. I don't think it gives the best translation here. Uh, it probably could be translated in my uh, uh, limited facility in Hebrew, something like this. The Lord nullifies the council of nations. It's almost a political counseling idea uh, advising, the Lord nullifies the advising, the counseling of the nations, and he frustrates the plans. Mahasaba in Hebrew. That would be a good translation of plans. On Chris? Yes, sir. On mine, it actually says the Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. Yeah. He thwarts the plans of the people. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good translation there, David. Okay, yeah. cool. cool. Yep, yep, thank you. So, uh, but the word plan is used repeatedly in this, right? That's verse 10. Look at verse 11. Here it is again. The plan or the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart from generation to generation. So this is interesting. The, the word for itza and mahasaba are repeated in the two verses, the verse 10 and verse 11. 10, those words are used to describe unbelieving, godless people, but the very same words are used to talk about God himself. Grabs them and pulls them into his world. The, the counseling of people, of the nations, it will be nullified. The, and he, God will frustrate or impede and nullify the plans of people. But the counsel of God will stand and the plans and intent of his heart, Lev, from generation to generation, that will stand, absolutely. And so blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. Or let me grab this idea. Blessed is the nation who listens to the counsel of God and not the counsel of man. Because the plans of man fail and the plans of God stand. And what a gift it is to be a part of his, his chosen people. Uh, verse 13, the Lord looks, watch, now watch the shifting into eyesight. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of mankind from his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth 
He who fashions the hearts live of them all. He fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not rescued by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it rescue anyone by its great strength. So a lot of political language is being used here, Terry. But notice specifically that the eye of Jehovah is like all-seeing. He's from heaven looking down. And it's as though nothing is overlooked. All right? Now, this can be particularly comforting when you think of what's going on with our nation politically, our economy, all kinds of things around the world. And if you're like me, there are occasions in which I think, you know, God, come on, are you not seeing this? Do you not see what I see? Are you not upset at what I see and makes me upset? Aren't you upset with me? And it seems perhaps sometimes that God is silent. But the fact is, the psalmist is saying, oh, he sees all of it. There's nothing that is unseen by him. I uh, had a a meeting a couple nights ago with a friend of mine who worked for the NSA years ago. He was a significant leader in the military and a very, very bright man. And he was talking about the NSA and he told us that the NSA knows everything. They know everything about us and that's kind of the obvious thing, but they know everything that's going on with the banks and with the businesses and with financial tra- transactions. They know what's going on in offshore accounts. They know what's going on in Russia. They know it all, all right? And I'm borrowing that idea from someone who worked for them, and I'm just trying to say, get the concept. Jehovah sees all, all right? To borrow from the, the ancient writings, There is nothing hidden from his eyes. When you look at Psalm 39, it's like this guy's trying to run away. If I run away from God and go down to the darkest, lowest hell, he's there. If I run up and try to get away and go to the highest heaven and the brightest place in the sky, he's there. No matter where I go, he's there. In fact, you know my thoughts from afar. In fact, you even know what I'm about to say before the word leaves my tongue. You know everything. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who wait for his chesed, faithfulness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, unfailing love. Why? He wants to rescue their soul, nefesh. From death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. The name would be Jehovah. Let your favor, Lord, be upon us just as we have waited for you. That's an interesting concept. It's almost as though there's a kind of... Uh, a kind of titration here that that God's favor will be upon us in equal portion to our ability to wait for him. I like that. 
Let your favor, your grace be upon us just as we have waited for you. So now here's uh, an idea I want you to grab hold of. So there are four principal reasons to praise Yahweh when you read Psalm 33. Jehovah's creation, that it's magnificent. He formed the seas and it's as though he bottled them up in his own wineskin. He set a boundary for the seas. His eternal plans in contrast to the plans of men, Jehovah's just and righteous evaluation of all people. Absolutely just, absolutely a critical and accurate evaluation of all people. And then Jehovah's unfailing love. All right. So really, really important things here. Let me go back and pick up one idea. I meant to say this. Um, the idea of uh, giving thanks Praise, it's an interesting idea. I meant to say something earlier about the Hebrew. The idea is um, uh, it's almost to throw, throw an object accurately at a target. Yep, that would be a good way to get praise. All right. As you're throwing like a dart at a dartboard and you're hitting the bullseye, that that's kind of the idea. That you've got to not, there's something you need to say there's something you're going to say about Yahweh, Jehovah, and so you say those words like you're throwing them at him. You're directing and shooting an object toward him. That's actually how the ancient word is used. Um, I like that. I like that. Um, I, in my journey of faith, I re remember that Working through the hymnal, the Baptist hymnal. I'm not sure how many of you are very familiar with the Baptist hymnal, but I was very familiar with it. And uh, I began to notice that there were so many hymns that were, that were really kind of skillful at speaking about God, but not necessarily to him. And I think there's a difference, right? Now, when you read the Psalms, you do have that same pattern. There are psalms that speak to a person kind of horizontally about God, and that's absolutely fine. But then there's times when the psalmist speaks directly to the Lord, and I like that. We can do both. And yet there's, some, there's nothing like talking directly to God. Nothing replaces that, you know. Consider praise as you are casting the right words about him to him. Does that make sense? When you get that idea, you begin to understand Hebrew, Hebrew concepts and all the titles for God. They would do that. They would, they would take their words and they would cast it toward him and say, you are Jehovah Elohim. You are Lord, creator God. Elohim, creator uh, or you are, you are Lord God Almighty, or you are Lord God, our healer. All kinds of ideas, words that are cast toward him, about him, to him, as opposed to more abstract or, or a more distal kind of thing where, you know, me and Terry are going to talk about God and that's, that's wonderful, we should do that. But nothing replaces directly talking to the Lord. So I think that's beautiful stuff. 
Um, so in wrapping it up, this psalm is a psalm of praise to Jehovah, to the Lord. And it seems to be centered around those fourfold ideas. His created world around us. Uh, I think of Paul's writings in Romans one twenty. The very created order speaks of the invisible attributes of God's character. Jehovah's eternal plans, that he is stressed and righteous in the evaluation of all people, including me and you. Yeah. And Jehovah's unfailing love. So, okay. So let's move into it. How can we pull Psalm 33 into our world today? How would it apply to us in our culture? And uh, knowing what's going on in our nation where, you know, he said earlier, hey, what's going to save the king and the nation isn't horses and, and the plans of men. It's Jehovah. He's the one that, that, that really saves a nation. And blessed is the nation that trusts the counsel of God, not the counsel of uh, a political party or something like that. So what are your thoughts? How does Psalm 33 apply to us today? And what encouragement or wisdom can we derive from, from what the psalmist has been saying? Chris? Yes. Verses 10 through 12, it's like whatever's going on politically and culturally that's so unsettling. In the end, the Lord's purposes will be accomplished. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and also, just that it's, I mean, you're you're pairing it with the concept of praise. So, I mean, you know, sometimes when it's, when we're thinking about, okay, what do we do for the Lord? It can sound like something hard and something difficult and he does call us to those things but at the same time we're obeying him by genuine praise of Mm. who he is and it's good for us from what I see I don't know my translation verse 1 says praise benefits the upright so it's good for us but it's just a right thing too so it's almost like just by focusing on the Lord and praising him it's like that in itself pushes back the darkness and holds those things at bay. Yeah. We're not doing it for that purpose. We're doing it because of him and how good he is. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, yeah. It's good. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. Someone else? Terry? A little bit off the wall, but I have used this excuse a couple of three times during my lifetime especially the gala, when I said, gee, it seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) And I can't help but think that we do that to God. Uh, We weren't thinking of the problem the way we should have. And we need to take the time to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's in today's day and age when everything is instantaneous 
we need to take a step back and think about what's really important. Mm. And let's do that. Let's talk to God. He'll listen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good, Terry. Yes, yes. And, and Terry, I think you're getting at a root idea. My planning versus his. Mm -hmm. my, my planning seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, yeah, so, so again, we need the Lord's plan, and we need to discover that together. So, okay, do you mind if we have a group counseling session real quick? Just a little one? No big deal. Ready? We're all in session. Verse 1, if you're a therapist, and you're reading verse 1, what's the thera therapeutic value of verse 1? Potentially, potentially. Therapeutic value. What? Opposite action. All right, explain opposite action. Okay, for example, let's say Andrea's in a really foul mood and the last thing she wants to do is praise God. She does the opposite action. And with all her heart setting aside the negative emotion, she per pursues behaviorally with her mouth, throwing the right words at God and praising Jehovah. And what happens to Andrea when she does that? Yeah, wake up. And all of a sudden, some good emotions kind of get in line. That's exciting. That's a great application from the therapist's perspective. What's another one? The second clause. Praise is appropriate, fitting, the right thing to do to the upright person. Go for the obvious. Go for the low-hanging fruit here. Therapist's perspective. What is it? If we fixate on very negative things, what happens to us? We become depressed. Yeah. All kinds of cognitive distortions. One plus one is three thinking. All kinds of things happen. But what if we actually took the time to say, you know what? What's kind of good and right right now? What's, what's a good thing? Well, uh, my wife still loves me and she hadn't kicked me to the curb. Okay, so there's one good thing, you know. Or you can go down the line. You get the idea. If you look for dark and sad things, guess what? You'll find them. <laughs> you will. But if you look for something that God is doing and you look for the fingerprints of God and you have an eye, remember the seeing eye, the hearing ear, and you look for something to, that's good about your life, you'll find it. You'll find it. Uh, there was a study done, Galen, you may have heard about this. It's, I think, about 25 years ago. There was a team of psychologists and they tried to get onto this idea of like 10 parts praise, one part correction. And they grabbed that idea and, and the psychologist wrote a paper that at the time was the most referenced paper published in a psychological work. That it almost became like this silver bullet, this rabbit's foot thing that if you as a therapist would guide your clients into saying 10 good things about themselves and then help them with that one negative thing, they're going to get better. And then some other psychologists began to say, you know, that wasn't peer-reviewed like it should have been. And so Galen, some really smart folks started doing the research and found out this team fudged on their research and they came up, came up with a faulty formula and there was, there was a lot of shame associated with this team 
that we're trying to push this formula of like a 10 to 1 ratio kind of thing, and that will lead to mental health. Uh, and, and, and it was a good thing that it happened. Okay, but regardless, it's still true <laughs> that if you focus on very negative things, you will become a very negative person. And if you have the kind of mind that you're really critical, you get a critical eye and critical ear, uh, it, to the tune of you can walk into a $50 million home and while you're walking up the, dri the driveway, you're looking for all that's wrong. Well, there's a crack right there and that seems not right. And there's a little bow in that brick right there. Before you knock on the door, you've already seen 50 things wrong with a house. A $50 million house. And you're picking up all the flaws everywhere, you know. Yeah, Paul talks about that. The New Testament talks about that. That people who fixate on dark and evil things find them. Yeah. To the evil, all things are evil, but to the pure, all things are pure. Paul says it. Yeah. Andrew, I think you're going to say something. Absolutely. You fill your heart with, with sad negative things and sad negative things come out. Absolutely so. So there is a brilliant kind of psychology, if I can borrow that word. I know it sounds very humanistic, but God is the creator of the soul, okay, the heart, love. And God knows that praise is healthy. It's good. It creates physical, emotional, spiritual benefit and health when we praise it's just good stuff okay anybody else uh, uh philip yes sir i'm uh, just kind of piggybacking off of that um a good way to reinforce positive thinking and behaviors especially along with psalm 33 i like how the psalmist kind of references why you should praise god in um verses four and five um you know what are the works of the lord Word of the Lord is right. His work is trustworthy. Well, what does he do, do for the world? Well, he loves it with righteousness and justice. Yeah. And how do I know this? The whole earth is full of his love. Um, yeah. Natural and in humankind. And so, um, if you're in a dark place, focus on God and think of the good things of God. Mm. You won't run out of things to think of. Yeah. If you really soul search. Yeah. And then that will warm your heart. Yes. In a lot of ways. That is so good, Philip. Very insightful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Someone else? Chris? Yes, sir. You know, just kind of reading back over this passage, it just obviously shows God's in control. Yes. You know, and it's funny, we're kind of talking about some of this today. Like yesterday, I had that moment, I had the day off, and I was struggling with some things and God really took my attention and said like kind of heard this in my heart like you have everything to be grateful for nothing to be sad about basically wow. and wow. I had my perspective change immediately and I started yeah. thinking about like how he's taken care of me basically my whole life like I've never gone without anything yes it really shifted my focus without like like y'all said I was like I like woke up all of a sudden yeah yeah you know? and it's made me think of this bigger picture of God has been in control of my whole life and it's so easy to get down in the weeds and start focusing on these momentary little things whether it be people or situations or 
Yeah. Instead of seeing the bigger picture, like God's been in control the whole time. And I think this yeah. kind of shows that there that He's He's in control. Yeah. Everything's okay. In so, if Donald Trump were voted into the presidency of the United States, is God still sovereign and on the throne? Is the opposite of that true? If Joe Biden's the president of the United States, that God is still on the throne? <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point. You know, when you, when you chase down the plans of people, uh, you're going to get in trouble. But when you, when you settle in on the plans of God, something beautiful happens. So, absolutely. Okay, someone else? Why does this matter? Something about Psalm 33? Okay. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of plural, our, but our soul is not plural, at least from what I see, mm-hmm. in his heart. So, is there any reason you're aware of that there's this, there's all these plural adjectives or whatever pronouns? And then yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. That would be a collective singular in Hebrew. Yeah. So the nation as though they have one soul. Yeah. I don't know if we think that way so much. No, we don't. We don't. That's good. We are, I've mentioned this before, uh, from from the sociology perspective, we are monadic. Uh, I am me, as opposed to dyadic, where we are us. And ancient Mediterranean people are dyadic in their view of society. Social relationships where we Westerners are monadic. We celebrate individualism and don't need anybody. We like to do stuff ourselves. But in Israel, they were very dyadic. The, the collective singular. Yeah. That's very good though, Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, Israel was sometimes referred to in the singular as a woman the bride in Jerusalem also as a woman the city of God also as a female so. okay someone else in about Psalm 33 anybody okay um I have some homework for you. You'll be graded next class. Uh, During the week, like Michelle's got a journal right now. Get a journal or something and get your phone in, in the notes app and write down some things that you, words you need to cast directly at God that are upright about him, why he's worthy of praise. For example, unfailing love is one of them. Maybe it's the fact that his words are true and right altogether. But make a note sometime, if you can tonight, would be great, and try to focus on that during the week, that these are true statements about God. 
that he is good and right. And it, if you do that, it may incline your heart to trust him more, to lean in and not potentially be so, I don't know, hesitant maybe to trust him. Make a list of why God to you is worthy of praise and what would those reasons be? Be good for us to do that, to think about those things. So I want to pray and ask God's favor. Lord, thank you that your servant wrote that psalm and you knew that we would need that uh, in February 2021. We need to take a look at creation. We need to remember. We need to look around us and see that your plans will stand. We need to see that your love is unfailing and that you're good and you're kind. And we need to accept the fact that you know our hearts. There's really nothing hidden from you. And so trying to hide things from you is really kind of silly. Help us to be open as the psalmist did in Psalm 139 and other places, to admit, this is who I am, this is what's in me, and ask that you create within us a clean heart, O oh God. Thank you that we can see the sky and discern your character. Um, Lord, you're kind. Thank you so much. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So, I know you're aware that the Apostle Paul wanted the church. And I think Paul was influenced by, for example, Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And there's something about seeing mountains that can draw you to, to Jehovah. I think Paul was influenced by that psalm. And so... Paul writes, Romans again, 120, the very creation reveals the invisible attributes of God. Paul also wanted the church not only to look at nature as a testament to the character of God, I think Paul wanted us to take the bread, take the cup as a way of discerning and remembering what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to read from Matthew's tradition now, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins absolutely precious I want to pray one more time and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together Lord we take the bread we take the cup remembering that your body was broken for us and your blood was given 
for the forgiveness of our sins, for the forgiveness, forgiveness for many people. This is a gift beyond measure. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the Lord's Supper together. In Matthew's tradition, it says that after taking the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn. And um, we've talked about praise. Is it okay if we sing a hymn? Can we sing the doxology? Would that be okay? Ready, here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. It's been good to be with you tonight. Okay, everyone online, thank you for being a part of this as well. I'm very grateful to everybody. Thank you, Jennifer. Always what you bring, your, your encouragement is uh, very, very valuable. Thank you so much. So. Y'all encourage me. I appreciate everyone there. Yeah, I'm grateful. All right. You have a good night, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye.